Okay, we're live. This is a new. This is a new. This is the first time in the history that someone else is broadcasting live. I'm not broadcasting live. I am calling Shraddha, who's now back in, I don't know where she is, somewhere else. And she's broadcasting. So this is her setup. And I'm going to be answering questions. She's going to be asking them just as we did her earlier. But um, bear with us and let us know if there's problems. Because no guarantees that this is going to work properly. Tell us if the volume's too low. Tell us if you can't hear me, if you can't hear her. Let us know what's wrong, or let us know that it's all going well. So she's going to start talking. Say hello, Shraddha. And Hi, please. can you all hear me? And let's just make sure people can hear, uh, let us know if you can hear her as well. Miracle of technology. Almost didn't think it was going to work. All right. So, apart from that, it works as usual. We all close our eyes. Remind ourselves why we're here. What our goal is. What our intention is. What our inclination of mind. Jittupada. Give rise to the state of mind. To the frame of mind. That is intent on seeing things clearly as they are. If and when you have questions, just open your eyes, type the question, your eyes again, back to the practice. Shraddha is kindly agreeing to sacrifice her own quietude of mind to keep her eyes open and answer questions. Sorry, ask questions, and I'll be answering them. One thing, we have questions when you're ready. Okay. I'm ready. What can I do when my mind has wandered at the same time as I have been repeating the mantra? Well, you would stop repeating the mantra and, and you would take up the wandering mind as a mantra. You say wandering or distracted or thinking. Do we still have, this is not exactly about meditation, but do we still have the Gautama Buddha's true Dhamma teachings intact? Yes. 
I think there's a good there's a what do I want to say? There's a fairly it's fairly easy to see that that's the case. Maybe that's not fair to say either. It's uh, easy in the sense that work you'll see that it works. It's not exactly easy because the work is not easy, but it's not like you put out the work and be have to doubt or not be sure. It's fairly easy to see that the teaching is the teaching of the Buddha. Bhante, I feel shame because I don't do the desired things I want to do because I'm afraid of doing them and it makes mindfulness very difficult. I guess that's not a question, but I guess the question is any advice? Well, I'm skeptical that it makes it difficult. I mean, it, it will make for very unmindful states, absolutely, but just the fact that you're able to articulate that you have those states means that there's opportunities to be mindful in between, really, you know, after, at the moments when you realize that you feel shame, at the moment that you realize that you desire things, the moment you realize you're afraid, all of those are good objects of mindfulness, things you should be facing, you should be Recognizing as they objective mind. Monte, there are some questions about not about meditation, that's more about Jataka tales and other things. So maybe I'll skip them and then come back to them when we finish the meditation questions. All right. So this is a meditation question. Two changes in Speed in different sessions of formal walking meditation indicate indicate you're doing something wrong. If it feels like you're doing it fast, then you're, it's too fast. If it feels like you're doing it slow, then it's too slow. It shouldn't really have a feeling of fast or slow. It should probably be slow. Well, it should be quite a bit slower than you'd normally walk. Most people, but it shouldn't be so agonizingly slow that it feels slow. Because it's not really about how fast you're walking, it's about moments. It's about each movement. And each movement you should you should have a critical eye on how fast that movement movement is. Right? Like in in the sense of not rushing through it, but also not dragging it out. It should just be uh, fast enough, slow enough, just the right speed so that you can be aware of it arising and ceasing.
Can you really disregard all worldly unfinished business in favor of meditation? No, not practically. I mean, there's always going to be business livelihood, issues of livelihood that you need to care for, issues of duties and that sort of thing. Even the Buddha had things that were duties he had to perform. Of course, all disciples of the Buddha have many different roles and duties and activities they have to perform. Most most especially li uh, relating to livelihood. So even a monk has to go for food. Often has to teach. Is it good practice to draw out the labels in paste with the meditation objects? For example, saying rising, falling, making those words long. That's what I think what they're asking. Yes, rising, falling should be in sync with the breath, but you shouldn't be purposely making the breath longer or shorter as all. Well. The words should be in time with it. That's a useful practice because it makes brings you closer to a clear observation of the object. You know, brings you closer to actually being aware of it, focused on it. What is the difference between the minds that note and the wandering mind that gives rise to defilements? Well, one is a response to an awareness, right? Why would you note? How, how would it come about that you noted something? You'd have to know what that thing was. You'd have to recognize it. You'd have to have an understanding of it as that thing instead of it's good, it's bad. So that the thought comes out as, it's this, it is what it is. The wandering mind is one that reacts. Well, wandering minds can be many different things. We call it wandering because it tends to be uh, undisciplined, tends to be not objective, reactionary. Uh, e extrapolating on things, you know, making more out of things that they are. You think of something and then you think about it rather than... That's thinking, you think, oh yeah, that's that thing I was going to think about, and I should think about more, and have to do this and that, and planning and remembering and so on. Of course, that allows for judgments. It's caught up in darkness, a lot of lack, lack of clarity, really. The ordinary mind is not really aware of what's happening, and thinking clear that it's thinking. It's not clear that it's liking or disliking. It's not able to observe. It's not able to discriminate between good and evil. And so bad habits are able to proliferate and continue.
Could you explain how does practicing Vipassana meditation, how does practice Vipassana meditation can reach Zanas? Zanas. I think I'd rather not talk about jhanas. There's too much controversy and difference of un understanding about them. I think I'm just going to put all those questions aside just because of how complicated it is. And not really helpful. Anyone who's thinking about the jhanas, I, I think it's a bit misled as far as this tradition goes. Why do we practice mindfulness? To see clearly. How to know which of the 40 meditation objects is the most suited for me? I don't teach any of them. Except you might say that this object, this practice is Datu uh, Manasikara. Or no, Datu Vivatana. How's it called? Datu... Anyway, the... the separating out of the physical into the four elements. So the four elements are the basis for this. Hardness, softness, cool, heat, uh, stiffness, placidity. Three elements anyway. But the 40 meditation objects are pretty generally not entirely, but almost entirely, summit to meditation. They don't actually allow for the arising of insight because the objects are conceptual almost entirely. How could meditation help me to realize no self? Well, non-self is seeing that things are not self, seeing that the ideas of self that you have about things are wrong. When you're mindful, you see that what exists is things that are not self, things that don't have self, don't have uh, entities, don't uh, don't have existence as entities, that uh, aren't controllable, that aren't controlling, and so on, that arise based on causes and effect, causes and conditions. Because you see that things like that, you start to realize that your idea of the various things that you identify as self are wrong. So that's how. I mean, I can talk and talk about it, but honestly, you really have to try it. You really have to practice it. I'm skipping a few more. There's a few questions that are not meditation. I'll come back to them if we have time. Mm -hmm. This one is also not specifically about meditation, but maybe how it affects them in daily life. You don't have to worry. You don't have to. You just just post what you think to post, and don't don't be afraid of me scolding. I won't. I, I don't have any teeth. Um, this question says, "I've noticed myself becoming more passive aggressive when talking to people, and speaking rather softly. I also take a lot of time answering people's questions and." People get annoyed by me. What to do? Well, I mean, passive-aggressive 
let's put aside the word passive aggressive or let's analyze it because the problem is the aggression and so if you if you have anger disliking frustration and and sometimes it can be arrogance and you know like the, uh, if you have any of those that's the problem so you should focus on that but just it's 50-50, you know what it might not be. It might be both. I mean, it is both, really. If people get annoyed, that's their problem. That is their problem. But, but if you are arrogant or annoyed with them and so you're not answering, or if you're... Um, yeah, if there's some kind of arrogance or conceit, that's usually a big part of it. Maybe there's sometimes an attachment or an aversion to breaking up your calm if someone would be sitting in meditation and feel very calm and they have an, an attachment to it or something they're not able to let go of it so they disregard people's questions or that sort of thing I mean rather because rather than stick to labels or let labels stick to you like I'm passive aggressive look at what's actually going on in the mind look at the moments where you are angry or frustrated or whatever and they should, of course, do the same. Because so when you when you recognize those emotions in others, you realize it's not that's not your problem. I rarely meditate regularly, but when I do, I sometimes sense reality in a different way. Details in reality would leap out for a second or two. Is this normal or am I imagining it, please? Well, there's not really a difference between something imagining or not imagining. There's experience. You're having experiences. First thing, I'm I'm a bit hesitant to answer because you say I rarely meditate. So, what I want to say really is meditate meditate a little more regularly, and then we'll talk. And if you're interested, read the booklet that we that I wrote, the booklet on how to meditate and practice according to it, and then maybe do an at-home course, and we can talk about what you experience because you know commenting on an offhand experience you have when you're meditating once a week or once a month or something like that it's not really going to be effective or useful you know, if you once you get into it and you get kind of good at it it's like suppose suppose you pick up but you never played tennis before and you pick up a tennis ball and you you missed the, the ball or you hit it in the wrong way and you say what should i do i can't play tennis right? Well, the answer obviously is you know, practice more. And once you practice a while and recognize that you're having bad, you again and again having a you know throwing, hitting the ball in the wrong direction or hitting the net or something. Well, then we can talk and adjust your pose and so on. Can one be present about thoughts as it arises, 
or only mindful one's thoughts of disease, and then note after, but for how long? Well, you're always present when the thought arises. That's how experience works. But the mindfulness has to happen afterwards, which is why mindfulness is a bit mis. The general sampajanya may be a good uh, word to translate as mindfulness, but what we're looking for is a recognition, a reminder, reminding yourself it is what it is. So I don't know what you mean by but for how long. I'm not really clear what, what you're asking, but mindfulness is, of course, or sati is right after. Or the act of cultivating meditation is right after. What arises is a, an, a remembrance of the object just as it is, so you don't forget it and get caught up in reactions and so on. Is multitasking considered an unfocused mind? Could meditation increase one's ability to focus on doing many tasks at once? It's not possible to do two things at once. We only have one consciousness at a time. What would it mean that you were conscious of two things at once? It's very quick often, but you can't really multitask. So going back and forth between two different objects, uh, no, there's a higher, higher likelihood of you getting you know, giving rise to reactions and judgments and distractions, anxiety, stress, and so on. But that being said, if you're truly mindful, it's not, you know, going from one object to another is just par for the course. It's what we always do anyway. So it's, it's not like you actually can technically multitask, but you can practically, you know, from on a conventional level, you can of course multitask, and that doesn't need to get in the way of your meditation. It's more, more difficult. You, know? you need to be quite good at jumping and watch following the mind when it jumps. So when the mind jumps to a new thing, to be objective and mindful. Mindfulness can help actually help with that because of how challenging it is, how, how easy it is to get caught off guard by something new. So if you're mindful, you're less caught off guard when things change. You're more flexible, more adaptable. That's a big part of mindfulness. I experience a lot of shaking tremors of my legs, sometimes my whole body during meditation. How should I deal with it? It's a shaking feeling. If it doesn't stop, you can tell it to stop. That's a trick that I was taught. Just say stop. Because sometimes the mind is involved and when you make a determination for it to stop, your mind just wisens up. There's a request for the booklet in Telugu language, which is the largest speaking 
language in South India. So I guess we can. Well, we need a Telugu translator. I don't do translations. I couldn't do one, of course. Um, yeah, well, if you know both languages, go ahead and translate it. That'd be great. Reading and learning the suttas, I become exceedingly absorbed into concentration. It is to the extent more than doing breathing meditation. Should I practice that instead of breathing meditation? You should practice what I teach. I mean, of course, but I can only really help you with what I teach. So neither of those things is really what I teach. Though reading and learning suttas is... Something that maybe should go hand in hand with it after a while, once you get good at it. But really, what I teach people is read the book, read the booklet, do an at-home course, come and do an intensive course, and then we'll talk about reading and learning suttas. I guess what we practice could technically be called breath meditation, but it's not. Sorry, it could be in one sense called breath meditation, but we, we don't technically refer to it like that. Not usually. In noting meditation at work, things move fast. Should I note things as a conglomerate, conglomerate like washing for all the actions involved in washing a dish? Or just let it be too fast to note it all. Yeah, conglomerate like that's a good strategy. I mean, both is it's not magic, you know. Try and you'll you'll try and get a sense of what you're actually doing. Like in the beginning, is what the heck am I doing? Repeating all these words to myself. After a while, you start to get a sense of what you're doing, how it's useful, why it's useful. You know, in what ways doing it in which ways make it useful. You know? And you don't think of it as magic. It's not like, he said, do this, and something good will happen, <laughs> right? It's not that simple. You have you have to. A part of it has to be getting a sense of why it's useful and how it works. Of course, in the beginning, you have no clue. But uh, that's part of the, the growth, part of the mental development, is understanding how and why and in what ways it works so that you can answer these sorts of questions for yourself. Not that I'm, I'm happy to answer them, it's just to some extent my answer isn't going to do it. You have to really start to see for yourself. And there's often a perspective that I think is uh, misguided, that it's kind of magic, that you just have to catch everything and something good's going to happen. It's not like that. It's about seeing clearly. The noting helps you to see clearly, helps you to stay objective. So like washing isn't a problem because you say washing, washing, helping you be something like terrible, terrible. Oh, that would be a bad note. Like you're doing dishes and you you say to yourself, smelly or disgusting or something. No. That's not really describing the experience. It's not helping you. Firstly, some people will sometimes note things like calm, calm, calm. When they're not calm, they'll say to themselves, calm, very, very wrong. Like, conducive of real problems in your meditation because it's not objective at all. It's uh, caught up in desire and control and so on. That's not what we use the mantra for. 
but washing is fine, that sort of thing is perfectly fine. Monte, I think you said that for beginner meditators, it might not work in their favor if they read advanced Buddhist literature. Why is that? Because they'll doubt everything, and they'll think about everything. Everything that comes up, they'll say, is that this? This is that. Oh. Uh, rather than actually be mindful, they're very caught up in what they've learned. Anything they don't understand, they'll doubt. Anything that doesn't jive with their experience, they'll doubt because of their misunderstanding of, of the text. We just had one of my students just um, just had a conversation recently of this sort where he was reading the advanced. Uh, he's probably, he might be even here now listening. That's fine. Uh, and uh, I said basically the same thing. I said, you really shouldn't read that sort of stuff. And it was clear why, because he got really concerned about it. Gets in the way of your meditation. Really seriously get, can get in the way. When doing walking meditation, I'm focused on stepping off the foot, arising and ceasing. What else should I be focused on? Well, you don't need anything else, that's fine. Uh, well, that's a strange question, you know. Just focus on the foot, rising and ceasing. I mean, the practical answer is that there's going to be lots of other things that you'll have to focus on and you'll have to stop walking and focus on them. But it's a kind of, you know, the, the question shouldn't be, what else is there? It's not about finding else. It's actually about simplifying. So if all you're experiencing is the foot rising and ceasing, there's no problem. I mean, a, an example of how that wouldn't work is because boredom would arise or dissatisfaction or craving for something else right which maybe i don't know what your situation is but that may be what's going on suppose that's all there is and you're like this is it and you get bored and so well so that's not it boredom arose then you say bored bored you're craving something more exciting more interesting more deep whatever it's like craving or wanting Is my concept that I am an unchanging self an absolute impediment to mindfulness? Yes. I mean, it is if you cling to it. It's hard to, you know. I really need more context than that. Not, I don't, don't, don't give it to me here. But we'd have to talk about it. But um, are you? Clinging to that view, if you're clinging to the view, then that's where the the the, the impediment comes. If it's just a concept that arises and you realize that this is a concept you haven't gotten rid of, but you don't particularly agree with it, you know, you just realize that you're confused and mixed up, that's fine. Because as you practice, it'll disappear. Clarify what is Nama and Rupa 
when we note the rise and fall of the abdomen. I seem to be unable to separate the two during my sitting meditation. Well, if you're trying to separate them, you're probably not really being mindful. I mean, what I mean is, don't don't get too obsessed with it. It's um. What was that? There was one monk, I think, who described this, but it's a common description to say. My teacher has said, described it as, when you see a tiger, suppose you see a tiger, and now someone has told you that tigers have stripes, and so you see the tiger, but then you have to go looking for the stripes, and you take a magnifying glass, or you know, you look at the ears of the tiger, you look at the tail of the tiger, you look at the toes of the looking for these stripes and you can't find them, these things people have called stripes. And then probably the tiger kills you before and eats you before you find the stripes. And to some extent that's... I don't mean to call you ridiculous. It's very common. What you're, what you're asking is a very common question. It's a very common problem. But it is about that ridiculous. Um, it's just that so why does it come about? It doesn't come about because there's anything wrong with you. This is you know, it happens to everyone. It comes about because of generally because of the disconnect between experience and intellect. Right? We're so unaccustomed to unfamiliar with our experience that we can't relate concepts to it. Right? When I talk about uh, nama and rupa, because you're thinking conceptually, which is how we normally think, you can't relate that to what you're actually experiencing. So you, you, you don't see the stripes. You actually don't see something that is as obvious and simple as, oh yeah, the tiger has stripes. I don't have to go looking for them. They're, they're right there. That's how I know it's a tiger, in fact. So nama rupa is the the... Nama is that which knows the stomach rising, and Rupa is the rising of the stomach. It's that simple. Whatever you're looking for is probably not Nama Rupa. Is it best to meditate in nature? or indoors. It's best to meditate in solitude, I suppose. You know, where you're not engaging with other people, where you're not connected to the internet, that sort of thing. Nature indoors isn't a big deal. But when eating, what feelings arise, complements the knowledge that we are full? How does one know when one is full and one is craving for more food? How does one know? One knows by being mindful. When you're mindful, you'll be more clearly aware of things or when you feel hunger or when you feel full and so on. It's, hard. it's quite hard to eat too much when you're mindful. 
because you're clearly aware of any craving, you're clearly aware of the feeling of being full, you're clearly aware of the feeling of hunger when it comes and goes. An interesting thing about hunger I've heard is that it's it's not actually because you need food. It's a there's something some part of the body, a brain, a part of the brain, and or something that is constantly firing, and it has to. And it tells it to be quiet, to turn it off, to stop the hunger from from triggering. So just because you're hungry doesn't mean apparently that you need food. I mean, that's the sort of thing you can see as a, as a monk or a meditator as well. Sometimes we're hungry in the evening. Young monks, young novices can get quite hungry. But it doesn't mean they need food necessarily. Sometimes they, especially because habits, you know, the, the, the body has habits. and So just because you're hungry doesn't mean there's something wrong. a day to get real benefit from meditation on breath so I don't know I get all these questions actually are practicing the way we practice or but it's more likely that they are talking about other types of meditation that I don't teach so I can't comment I'm just going to not comment because I suspect that's what you're asking I never talk about what we teach meditation on breath so if my assumption is correct that you're not practicing the way I teach, I can't answer that question. Mante, should I not ask? I mean, I could, but I won't. Or should I just not ask those kind of questions? I guess if someone's talking about meditation on breath, I don't mind. I mean, I'll just tell them, I don't teach that. You should practice. If you want my answers, you have to practice what I teach. Or go find someone who teaches that. I think it's just... Of course, this is. I, I'm not. We're not specifying. So, so it's meditation Q and A. Well, can't I ask about any type of meditation? So, it's not people's fault that they don't know that we're not answering those or that we're specific to a certain tradition. So we kind of have to let them know. That's fine. Mm. I don't mind repeating myself. And maybe also to mention that the booklet is on the description in the description of the video. How to yeah, everything you need to know about us, all links to all information about us, our, our group, is in the description. And if it's not there, well, you can ask questions, you can talk to our organization as well, our community. We have a lot of volunteers, or a few volunteers anyway. Do we have a lot of volunteers, Shredda? I think so. We have some volunteers. I'm going to go back. The rest of the questions are not specific to meditation, and I skipped a lot of questions, so I can maybe ask them and you could decide if you want to answer them. Um, how to explain that Jataka texts mention animals and trees as talking? Yeah, no, let's not answer those types of questions. It's not a terrible question, but it's not really. I mean, I just, you know, doubt, for example. I don't want to get into it. I guess maybe I'll just say I don't know. Is it... More complicated than that, but that's basically it. Um, I don't have a great answer. 
is it bad to have materialistic desires? Yes. Well, what about more questions? These kind of questions for instance. What is the difference between a nihilistic belief and the non-existence of self? Well, nihilistic, nihilistic is we talk about the annihilation of view of self. So once you've annihilated that view, I mean, that's uh, that, that's what I believe in. I believe in annihilating the view of self. But you're not annihilating the self by believing that it doesn't exist. You're just conforming with the truth. I mean, it's like, if I said, I don't believe in the Easter Bunny, or I don't believe in Santa Claus, hey, what a nihilistic view you have, right? It's like, but, but they don't exist. I'm not sure about this question. Uh, I'm really drawn to all the spiritual practices and so on, and really been thinking about becoming a monk. But I don't know if it's just me trying to run away from society. Advice, maybe. I commend you for intending to run away from society. We should all run away from society. I think one thing, you know, the bright side of being on lockdown is that people are learning to be more secluded, less engaged, less caught up in Tangled up is the point. Tangled up in, tangled up in suffering. I didn't answer your question, did I? Um, advice, advice. Meditate. Don't worry too much about leaving society. Focus on the seclusion that comes from a shift in perspective. When you're mindful, you don't even see other people. You don't even see society. You don't experience any of that. You just experience experiences and you see them as they are. Why did the Buddha say, said, one finally should let go of the Dhamma? I don't know that he said that exactly. Maybe he did. Um, I don't know, I, 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 yeah, you could say that he said let it go, because I think I'm hesitant, because in some sense you want to adhere to the Dhamma. What you don't want to adhere to is, um, what do I mean? You don't want to cling to it, but you'd want to stick to it. Uh, it's as clear as mud, isn't it? So what I mean is, don't uh, veer from it. Much more, it's it's or it's all it's quite common to cling in the sense of uh, feeling good about it, feeling proud of it, um, be, being complacent about it. So you, if you cling to, and this often happens, you cling to realizations you've had. And you feel good about them. You're you're happy about them, and so you don't strive further. And striving further would mean letting go of that thing that you realize, letting go of what you've already gained, and going further. 
But in, in some sense, none of that implies that you ever let go of the Dhamma. You just let go of Dhammas, I guess is, is more correct. So when the Buddha said let go, he was talking about the, the raft. There's a simile of the raft. A raft you use to go across a river. Once you get across the river, don't carry the raft with you. Throw it away. So every anything that's helped you, throw it away and move on. Don't look back and say, "Oh, look what I did! I crossed that river." And you won't fall. You won't make it the rest of the way if you do that. Should I ignore books of Buddhist authors who do not live by what they teach? It's a fair amount of uh, suspect skepticism. There are some really good scholars who, who as scholars are quite apt and have have solid you should recognize that they are just scholars and there's a limit to what they can comprehend to what they, they can explain but there are many good teachers or there were many good teachers in ancient times apparently many there were some who were able to teach their students quite well without themselves attaining any kind of enlightenment we're talking about that this morning of course stick to the books of people who appear to live by what they teach that's uh, far far preferable but uh, you, your question is ignore you shouldn't ignore them i don't think just a healthy dose of skepticism and an understanding of their limitations Could you ex can you explain Paticca Samuppada? I've made videos on it. Go into and questions about yeah. I mean, you put them up. That's good. I'll just say I've made videos about it. Then they dependent origination. You probably look for. Will one experience ego death through meditation? The ego is kind of phrases. I don't know what that means exactly. It depends what you mean by when you say ego death. Ego, we often use the word in English to mean um, an inflated, egotistical, or you got a big ego, or. Yeah. He had a problem, he had an ego problem and that sort of thing. Ego is the problem, uh, say. So that will die, of course. There'll be no egoism or e egotism. I don't know what I mean, what the difference is. Egotism. One will not be egotistical. a committed layman practicing insight for an unknown lot of time, I read in discourse of Satipatthana Sutta commentary, ultimate liberation achieved within seven years. Why a limit of time is in text? 
I don't know. I think um, what you can get from that part of the text is that it's it's guaranteed. You know, it, it, this isn't something that may has lead to the results that it. I mean, it's a bold claim, right? To say that practice for seven years—that's that's the most it could absolutely ever take. But then he, he goes down and he makes another point. That's the first point, I guess. The second point is that it also has nothing to do with time. It has very much to do with your inclination, your intention. And he said seven days. Seven days, if you're truly mindful, that's all it would take. I just see Buddha statues as items and praying and giving offers as useless. Is this a hindrance to my path? Or will being more religiously ceremonious help? Could help, because it gives you confidence and faith, and those are positive qualities of mind. They're, they're, they, they are focusing and strengthening qualities of mind. They make your mind stronger. Pellets are often so strong at doing often terrible things um, because of the strength of faith so if it's channeled in the right way it can be very useful uh, on uh, conversely your criticism of them and thinking of them as useless if you actively do that that's a hindrance it's a judgment it's a disdain it's arrogant in some ways if they, you know you have to watch for that if that's happening you have to try and let go of that You know, something about themselves because they because they look down on other people, right? Tism, that's conceit. That's conceit very clearly. What are the origins of meditation? Is it true that meditation is thousands of years old and Practitioners receive mantras from it. A pass. Not really interesting. I mean, is that something that the person needs to know? Maybe they could think. read the booklet or watch our meditation videos. It's not going to answer that question, but they still, for sure, they should. <laughs> right, but it seems like they haven't. They haven't. Hmm. Must you first practice Vinaya, then develop concentration, then develop wisdom and peace? No, no. I mean, if you're not ethical and moral, the rest won't come about. So it's kind of a good base, but you don't have to do it first. You just have to on an ethical framework. So as you're practicing, you have to be ethical and committed to ethics and morality. If you're not concentrated, not focused, you won't see clearly. So the progression is less chronological than it is dependence, like building a house. Well, not, not kind of like building a house. They rely on each other.
How can someone reconcile living in the modern world while realizing that every pursuit they have is based on craving dopamine release without being becoming a monk or a blind consumer? Do what you can. It's not perfect. You're probably not perfect. We're trying to get out. And it's an act of coming out, getting out. It's a practice. You work at it. You change the way your mind works. You start to acknowledge and observe your craving for dopamine. And you get better. You straighten your views, you straighten your mind. You see more clearly. You get yourself on the right path. And if you get yourself on the right path, it leads to the goal. You don't have to worry about the goal. Worry about getting on the right path. It's getting your mind straight. I feel depressed after not seeing expected tranquility or any progress. Mm. What should they do, Shraddha? I'm asking you, are you? <laughs> yeah. you hear me? I'm thinking. I think uh, to be patient and if they can know that the the feeling of being depressed that itself mm -hmm. is progress in the way i would see it just being able to note how what you're experiencing at the moment even if it's being depressed is progress because it's not that i think we expect to um, only have good states, but that's not the point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that sums it up. Yeah, so part of it might be the craving as well, if you want to. I mean, you, you hit it, you, that was the point, but something in addition to all that, also not craving. What you're not saying is probably, you're implying that you want tranquility. Or you're expecting progress. You should note that as well. If we know thoughts, isn't that a distraction to have to choose words to note with? Or is the solution thought, thought, the same word each time, or noted, noted, etc.? I don't know why you would say noted, noted, but thinking, thinking, or thought, thought is perfectly fine. I mean, in the beginning, it'll be distracting to try and find these words, but that's because you're not good at it. Anything you do is like that. Try and learn to play tennis. I'm not sure. I, I, I tried to learn tennis when I was younger, and it was a horrible experience. That's why I always go back to it. Um, it's not as easy as it looks. And in the beginning, it's a horrible experience. So 
you think, well, this playing tennis is not a very smooth thing to do because you're not very good at it. Once you get good at it, it becomes quite smooth. Physical training is the same as mental training. There's someone saying that the audio is cutting out a bit. They can make out most of the words, but it's not too bad. But I don't see any other comments from anyone else. Is it okay for everyone? Yeah. Yeah, let's have a show of hands or comments, what people think. We're done anyway. It's now one hour, so I think let's stop there. Well, I think it was a good experiment. Hopefully the audio was not terrible. If it was, we might have to figure out why that was. Could also be someone else's internet connection. Um, the 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 real proof will be in looking at if someone watches the YouTube video. So if you want to, if you don't mind taking some time out, try to listen to the audio in the YouTube video when it goes up, and letting me know if the audio is terrible. We have to figure out what's wrong. More than one people, it's not them. It's probably us. We should also know whether it's you cutting out or me cutting out or both. That will tell us something else. Okay. Anyway, thank you for your help. Thank you all for your questions. Have a good day.